This episode of No Bad Food is brought to you in part by Whiskey Lane. Are you a producer of artisan food or drinks looking to get your name out there? Look no further. Whiskey Lane's team of social media, branding, and marketing experts is here to help. They'll take care of all that stuff for you so that you can focus on doing what you do best, making awesome products for your customers. Here at No Bad Food, we know that buying locally made products goes a long way toward making our world more sustainable, and that's why we're proud to be sponsored by Whiskey Lane. So, what are you waiting for? Grab your nearest artisan cheese or homebrewed IPA and run to whiskeylane.ca to find out more. And remember, that's whiskey the Canadian way. Without any. You understand. It just takes a little time. It takes a little time. It takes a little time with me. I hope you don't mind. We'll take it slow this time. Hi, I'm Tom Zalatni, and you're listening to the No Bad Food Podcast. If you're new here, welcome! This is a show about great food and the people who love to make and eat it. Our mandate is simple, to explore, taste, and learn about food in ways that celebrate all the things that make it great. Every week we dig into a different dish, meal, ingredient, cuisine, or piece of food media, exploring the history and culture around it, sharing favorite recipes, and learning from our wonderful guests. The only rule? You gotta love it. After all, there's no such thing as bad food. Before we dig in, I want to take a minute to acknowledge that the studio where I'm recording is situated within the traditional and unsurrendered territories of the Ganyangahaga First Nations. As settlers, it's important that we remember when the lands we occupy are not our own, and that we engage in conversations that challenge the colonial mindset. I've been thinking a lot recently about indigenous foodways. Um, <laughs> a thing that I was reading about this morning uh, is that a lot of indigenous communities are kind of losing some of their food information. Some of it is not being passed down the way that it usually is, um, because in a lot of indigenous communities, there is a strong history and strong tradition of oral storytelling. So like passing things on verbally and uh, learning from your elders and like talking things through, which I think is really cool. And because of the events of the past year and a half, because COVID has been, you know, <laughs> taking a lot of lives from people, there are people who are not getting the opportunity to pass down the knowledge and pass down the instruction that they would normally pass down before dying because of COVID. Um, and so I've been thinking a lot about that recently and about how, like, it is a massive privilege if you are someone whose food culture is just written and accessible like that, that you maybe, I mean, I know for, for me, like my family's food is just stuff that I can Google because my family's food culture is, is a settler food and a colonizer food that is just a, a thing. It's just a thing that exists, right? Like I can Google chicken paprikash. I can Google schnitzel and, and find countless recipes. And sure, they're not exactly the way that my family makes them, but like that's easy for me to get that access because nobody is actively trying to suppress it. Uh, no, say, government <laughs> is trying to, say, erase history and erase the present and, and suppress a people group. So uh, I just... In thinking about that this week, uh, I want to encourage you to do a little bit of digging into what these sort of indigenous foodways and indigenous food cultures of the place you live in are. And if you, you know, have access to a place that sells and cooks it, <laughs> maybe check that out because it is always cool to support local businesses and local restaurants, especially when you are a settler on that land and, you know, 
kind of owe it to them to eat their food and find out about it. And spoilers, it's probably delicious. So you'll be doing yourself a favor in the process. So of course, June is Pride Month, which means that this is the time of year where queer voices are being amplified and celebrated more than usual. And for me, this is the first year that I'm fully out and loud and proud about my queerness. So in light of that, I wanted to do something special to celebrate on the show this year for the first time ever. For the whole month of June, I'm talking to friends from all ends of the acronym about a type of food that I love almost as much as I love being queer. Barbecue. I think there's not enough representation in the food media scene of queer folks, especially when it comes to cooking meat over fire, because, you know, barbecue has been branded as macho and masculine for, like, forever for some reason. So I'm here to change that just a little bit by bringing you this mini-series about barbecue, queerness, and the ways that loving food can help us love ourselves. This is LGBBQ. I don't have a thesis for this series beyond queer people like barbecue too, but my goal here is really just to have these conversations with lovely people about a thing that we love, and if you're listening to this and you're queer and you've never felt like there's space for you in the world of barbecue, I hope this series helps you see that there is. Alright, that's enough for me, let's get right into it. Alright, my guest today is Gabrielle Vendette. Gabrielle is currently studying communications and history at Concordia University, and in her free time she likes to work on becoming a pretty good home baker, a pretty good rugby player, and a pretty good writer. Gabby, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, I'm very excited to be here. So, I guess uh, just kind of first out the gate, um, tell myself and tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and your relationship to your queerness. Yeah, I guess I'll say it. I'm 24 now, and I only came out as bisexual during the beginning stages of the pandemic. So, like, last May. Mind you, I had, like, in the year before that, I essentially came out three times to my mom and, like, my best friends. And by the third time, <laughs> the third time I was caught, I called my mom and I was crying. It's like, Mom, I'm bisexual. And bless her heart, she was like, yeah, honey, I know. I, I mean, I still support you, but, like, we've been over this so I was like I know but I just needed to confirm it she's like yeah okay like really supportive like sure. I don't know what to do now I'm like you've been talking about this but yeah so it's been like like a cool and a fun experience just like leaning into that more and um just discovering like queer media and like related honestly it's been mostly relating to memes because obviously I haven't been able to like go out to like like the queer spaces that much because they, they've mostly been closed sure. um but yeah just like relating to my queer friends in a different way and it's been it's been a fun adventure and now i'm in british columbia and i'm i'm like dating my first female partner which is like a new experience obviously and uh yeah just like a fun a fun adventure so far i'm really really loving it and feeling more connected to myself than i have in the past which probably works out well with finding pieces of yourself that you didn't know you had before. Yeah, I love that. I love that for you. I'm glad that you're like, you're feeling good about that. And you're feeling more true to yourself. I think that there's something I think there's something about like, this past, you know, year and however long that we've been kind of in you know for lack of a better word isolation because i i do think that you know with the internet being what it is it's hard to feel truly isolated but i think that there is a certain amount of like difficulty in socializing still i've heard a lot of my queer friends talking about it as kind of a cocoon time where you're like you know okay well if i'm gonna be you know (laughs) stuck indoors most of the time and not seeing people as much as i usually do i'm gonna take this time to kind of wrap myself up be comfortable spend time with myself grow truer in myself and then when we can finally all see each other again I will emerge as a beautiful gay butterfly and I think uh, I mean that's been true for me as well like I've I've gotten a lot more comfortable in my like gender queerness since the start of the pandemic and like 
yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like this is a very, it can be a very fruitful time for people who are figuring stuff out for themselves. So I'm glad to hear that it's been like good for you as well. Yeah. It's, it's like, you've had a lot of time for like self-reflection and I feel almost as though you're, you're like sitting with yourself and there's no outside world to like skew your perception or like that you have to present yourself to kind of, so you really get to just get comfortable with like your your truest most authentic form (laughs) yeah totally well and I feel like a part of that is also like uh, tell me if this resonates with you but the when you're seeing people in person a lot you do even if you're not someone who cares too much about your physical appearance like how you dress or how you do your hair and makeup or whatever there is still an element of like how you present yourself to the people that you interact with on a regular basis and when you're home more you put a little bit less into that you know that there's still going to be days where you're like no I want to do my hair and makeup today but like you don't necessarily do it for other people as much as you do it for yourself and I think that there's something really freeing in that because you can when you you know are regularly seeing people say you're going to school or you're going out to the club or whatever you put time into making yourself look a certain way that feels good for you but also that feels good for other people right and when you're at home I think you can focus a little bit more on what feels good for you outside of that visible element a little bit and I think that that can be a really like cool thing for people figuring themselves out because it like it takes away that outside perspective a little bit and lets you just kind of be with yourself a little bit more and I think that that's really really powerful yeah I'm having like flashbacks to when I was still in Montreal it was like May or June or something and that was when I was like really like getting into the process of being like okay like I'm bisexual there's not really because before I was like yeah I like girls but like not like that like I'm just like a hypersexual person you know and sure. like I was like kind of like coming to terms and, and cry and be like okay yeah this is like me and I'm like I just started like experimenting with my clothes in ways that I wouldn't like in the public I was like okay like maybe I don't need to wear like high-waisted skinny jeans and and like really like deep low cut tops and like maybe I can like brand because it was like oh well of I think there's like a little bit of like the male gaze incorporated in there like mm-hmm. whether or not we like it you know we live in a patriarchal society and that was kind of ingrained to me as a as a small child like many other people right but yeah I was like wearing like baggy shirts and like putting like I had like a pair of mom jeans and I would like wear them like on my hips instead of up on my waist and like not cuff them and like try on sneakers and like baseball caps backwards and I was like okay like this is like a new it's like a new almost like body shape or new form for me and I was like I like I like the like mixing of aesthetics the like blending of gender roles and I was telling my friends like I was lucky enough to still be working as um actually as a busboy at a bar Mm -hmm. like uh when the like restaurants were still open up early pandemic and I told him I was like it's so gratifying for me like working as a busboy like wearing a baggy shirt baggy shorts like a a backwards baseball cap and being like wow like I'm really fucking with the gender norms here (laughs) and I was like I feel so good about this I feel so like free and like experimental and like damn I can like do whatever I want be whatever I want so it's it's been fun I love that there is something really nice about the moment when that clicks for the first time eh? mm-hmm. yeah I was like wow I don't need to be like I don't need to be to look feminine to be a woman like right. to be a woman can take like so many different shapes and like I can be like feminine like in a more like masculine presenting like masculine presenting outfit and then also like I've been thinking about 
a gender more as like energy than as like gender I guess like oh like what's like a more like what's a soft energy what's a what's a harder energy you know sure yeah yeah, I like that. I, I like thinking about it as uh, as an energy thing. I think, mm-hmm. um, so that was something that I kind of, uh, and this will transition really nicely into the topic for the episode, obviously, because we're, we're here in LGBTQ, the you know, <laughs> queer barbecue series. So we're going to talk about barbecue in a bit. But I, I think that was something that was tricky for me when I first kind of, so, so similarly, when the pandemic hit uh, last year, I was like, on my way out of a job and like, got myself a charcoal grill that I was really excited about and was like okay this is the summer that I'm going to like get into grilling because I had I had always loved barbecue but I like didn't have a good grill so I didn't do it myself and there was a part of me that was like okay at the same time that this is going on I'm also like really really having a lot of questions for myself about my gender identity and like I had already you know figured out that I was non-binary but I was trying to figure out what that really meant for me because like the the I always feel like it's tricky because when you're if you are like you know if you are trans it's like okay cool well I know what a trans man looks like (laughs) you know like it's when you when you are someone whose whose gender identity is on a binary you have a kind of like picture right but but non-binary is such a like broad thing that when I first was kind of figuring that out I was like well shit like what does that mean because that can mean a thousand different things (laughs) and uh and the thing that I think was really helpful for me was at some point realizing like, okay, I can be a non-binary person who is male presenting, who is a fan of barbecue, who likes baseball. And that's okay. That doesn't take away from that, right? Like you can, you know, I, I don't necessarily have to start wearing different clothes in order to express myself. I might, (laughs) you know, I might find something that's like, oh, this is comfy and, and looks good and I like it, but it's not the only thing. It's, it's so much more of an energy thing and it's so much more of a thing that is internal yeah, I like that. Yeah, I think I think you bring up a good point about how like like gender and queerness. There's almost there almost seems to be like identifiers of queerness, and then if like if you don't adopt those, then like it makes you like question your own your own queerness kind of thing. Yeah, I feel as though like for identify as a woman and like for a woman liking barbecue and like for a queer woman like really liking like big cuts of meat and like <laughs> red meat and just like bacon. And, pork chops and ribs and stuff and like brisket it almost like it, I feel like it almost helps me like skew the gender lines sure. even more because like we associate that with like manliness and I'm over here and like I'll wear a pretty pink dress and like go down on a plate of ribs and I remember like since I was young I had such a pride in like eating as much as my dad which makes no sense for an eight-year-old but I was like yeah I'll get the full rack of ribs and he's like you're not gonna finish that I was like yeah I will and obviously I'm eight so like halfway through I'm like oh my tummy hurts and I don't want it anymore but I was like yeah I love ordering like steak and like brisket and ribs and it was like and I will I was thinking about I was thinking about this episode and I was at work yesterday and I got a flashback to the first time that my dad let me use the barbecue back home and it was such like a gratifying moment he was like yeah like the ribs are pre-cooked and you just need to slather them with barbecue sauce and and grill them and I was like okay and I like covered them in barbecue sauce I was so meticulous with like the the <laughs> brush and I was like oh I'm gonna keep all the brush strokes in the same alignment and make sure like every single like piece of meat and bone was covered and I waited outside and I kept opening to check it he's like you need to leave the top on or else it's not gonna like grill properly it's like but I need to look at my work of art and it was so it was such a an amazing like it was such an amazing experience 
<laughs> I love that. Yeah, I, I think that there is something like... It's interesting. I've been thinking a lot about this recently in terms of like where barbecue comes from, right? Because we we tend to associate barbecue with where we see it the most, which is probably true of most things, right? You see something a lot and you're like, oh, that thing goes there. That, you know, that makes sense. Um, and I think that the kind of default picture of barbecue for a lot of people, at least in North America, is like, you know, kind of a schlubby white guy in a, ba- in a baseball cap standing at the grill drinking a beer. And like, it feels like, you know, because of that picture, a lot of the time we think like, okay, well, barbecue is manly and barbecue is like you know the like the white dad thing right and I've been thinking about that because like one you know as a you know white person and a dad but a queer white dad who doesn't super identify as male and like you know has rolled in tons of queer spaces and known a lot of people who do love grilling and are outside of that kind of main picture I got curious about kind of where barbecue originated and like in a probably not shocking turn of events um, you know barbecue the way that we know it in North America is really a like direct result of like the African slave trade you know a couple hundred years ago and of you know slave cooks making food that was delicious and then white people appropriating it and saying like okay this is ours now and like so as soon as I found that out I was like okay well then that means that I am now going to cast aside this idea that barbecue has to be you know (laughs) the thing that is like my default picture is is wrong because not only is it not true to my experience but it's also you know not historically accurate and there's something there was something really freeing about that revelation you know yeah i'm like not surprised that it it came from like enslaved people like down south like clearly that makes sense like the the white world has like continuously like claimed things that is not ours and be like oh yeah like we started it and just like ignoring the history of it so yeah exactly (laughs) i'm not gonna like sit here and pretend that i know a bunch about like barbecue culture and cooking i'm a big fan of eating it and Yeah, <laughs> I've yeah. never. I'm trying to get my my partner to order, to like buy a grill, and I'm like, come on, it'd be so fun. Like, all my steaks, like, it'd be sick, you know. <laughs> yeah, I get that. If you're enjoying the show so far, make sure to hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on so that you never miss a new episode. While you're at it, consider leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or sharing this episode with a friend. For every new rating and review I get during the month of June, I'll be donating $2 to Gender Creative Kids. Gender Creative Kids is an organization that runs workshops and community events for trans, non-binary, and gender creative youth, providing gender-affirming gear, educational tools, advocacy, and help for parents learning how to better adapt to their kids' changing needs. Having parents who are properly equipped and affirming of their gender identity is a real huge factor for improving the quality of life of trans kids and you can learn more about what gender creative kids is doing at the link in the description of this episode now that this show has been heavily focused on food for a while i went back and noticed that most of our existing apple podcast reviews are pretty outdated and still talk about the show like it's a comedy podcast and also use the wrong pronouns while talking about me so uh if you've left a review in the past maybe take this opportunity to go update it and i'll include that as a new review even if it's just an update of an old one because accurate reviews are great and i don't like being misgendered Hooray! (laughs) Lastly, if you haven't had a chance yet to listen to last week's episode with Rhiannon Jenkins, go cue that up to listen to when you finish this one. We continued our LGBTQ series with a great conversation about British and South African barbecue culture, the importance of language and representation in helping to find your identity, and in light of that, what we think Glee could have done better. Alright, that's enough from me, let's get back to the show. 
Yeah, so so I guess tell me a little bit more. Like, obviously, you've alluded to it already that you you know are a person who loves to eat massive amounts of grilled meats. But tell me a bit about that. Tell me about your relationship with barbecue. I guess my like first entry point is that it's absolutely delicious. A good place to start. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think it's a cool like niche community and like I hmm, let me put my my words into thoughts here. Sure. Yeah, I guess it's like like my first introduction was like when I was younger, and I'm white, so um, my dad is white as well, so my first introduction was definitely, like you were saying before, like, white barbecue dad wears, like, Crocs, essentially, or, like, <laughs> sandals and, and jean shorts and cooking up some burgers, like, t-shirt tucked into to high-waist jeans for some for some reason. Sure, yeah. Um, so it was definitely, like, my introduction to it, like, very, very homey, but, like, Watching the Food Network mostly and like watching, I love cooking shows like on YouTube. That's mostly what I watch. I've just come to appreciate how complex and yeah, I've come to appreciate how complex barbecue can be and how it can be like a really like high form of like culinary art, I'm going to call it. Because yeah. I think so many people say like, ah, you slap it on the grill for six hours and it's ready. But I think there's a lot that goes into like flavor profiles and like picking the specific kind of wood and like how long you smoke it for and how to manage the smoke and I think it's been for a long time it's been associated with like that low brow food kind of thing where you like just get a burger or a hot dog or or a brisket and it's such it's such a, a community thing too because from what I understand like those big like tough cuts of meat like they're much easier to just like cook slowly like in a barbecue or in a smoke pit kind of thing and then you have like a huge meal for for a bunch of people, you know, and everybody gets to sit around a table and 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 pick at it and eat together. And I think that's such a that's just a cool thing that like barbecue has. Like it's it all I I feel like at least in like middle class, like upper upper middle class like culture, like barbecues like are usually associated with like celebrations, like oh like we like graduated school or or a birthday or first communion. <laughs> like we'll have a barbecue, you know? And sure. I think that's uh yeah, there's a lot of like community associated to it. And I think that's really cool. Yeah, totally. Well that's it. I, I think that there is I think you hit it right on the nose with right on the nose, right on the head. I don't know what I mean. I, I what think are the you, <laughs> I think that you're you're absolutely right that like barbecue does kind of have this like image of being kind of a simple like I think especially if you like grew up with mostly just frozen patties getting slapped on the grill and then eaten and it's like okay it's still delicious it's still you know grilled meat you're still gonna get that taste of the grill but I think that there is a like a real art to it there is a real what am I trying to say there is a a sort of intuitive skill that goes along with it that I think makes it one of the most like interesting methods of cooking. And I don't just mean, you know, the classic, you know, North American barbecue kind of thing. I mean, any sort of open fire cooking, uh, mm. or I guess, you know, you can make, I, I always feel weird calling it open fire because a lot of the time with, with a barbecue, you close the lid, but it's still <laughs> technically an open flame, you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I see it. There's charcoal, there's flames, like it should yeah. get scary. Close the lid and you're like, we're going to let that do its thing. <laughs> and there's three That's inch it. flames. <laughs> it's like the, the flame is open for the meat. It's just not open for you for safety yeah. reasons. Um, but yeah, I think about it a lot. Like there's um there's a show on Food Network. Maybe you've seen it called uh, Fire Masters that I just love. It's it's a cooking competition show. You know, three chefs come in, compete round after round, 
people get eliminated, yada, yada. And mm-hmm. they're in this huge, like, kind of backyard setup where they each have various cooking stations. They've got, you know, charcoal grills, gas grills, smokers, an enormous fire pit. They have all these options. And the idea is, you know, here's your prompt. Go get whatever you need from the pantry and make it happen using fire to your, like, best ability. And I think that seeing something like that really makes it click for me that, like, there is more to this than just set the temperature, put the thing on the grill, and walk away, right? There is there's timing, there's paying attention to the flavors you have going on, there's knowing, you know, that, like, the slightest difference in the thickness of a cut of meat is going to radically change the cooking time and the cooking technique. Like, <laughs> the the number of times that I have overcooked pork chops because I, you know, didn't check how thick they were before slapping them on the grill and only noticed about halfway through and went, well, this is a guessing game now. <laughs> it is yeah. It is such a complicated thing. And I think that the the thing that makes that worthwhile is the other thing that you touched on, which is the kind of communal side of it. Because I think that I'm, I don't know about you. I mean, you said you don't currently have a grill, so I don't know, you know, how much this currently hits you. But but for me, certainly, when I am grilling, I'm not going to grill for one person, right? I'm going to make a lot of food because the time that goes into it isn't worth it to make one burger, right? I'm not going to you know, especially because I'm cooking with charcoal and it takes like a fucking hour to turn on my grill. I'm not going to go through all that effort just to make one patty. I'm going to make food for the whole family. I'm going to make leftovers. I might send some of it to a friend, a friend's place afterward as a little like, hey, thought you might like a, you know, chicken breast or whatever. Like there is, there is that kind of communal side to it. And I think that that (laughs) is one of the things that is like hardest, at least for me about the pandemic situation is not being able to just say everybody come over I'm gonna make you some food yeah I I like your comment about um I wanted to to keep talking about how like there's a level of skill and expertise that goes into barbecue because like Mm. even just like the way we call them like pit masters like like I don't know people who are like really good at cooking we don't call them skillet master they're like (laughs) stove master like crock pot crock pot master like there's no carryover you know like uh, maybe we need to start that. Like, oh yeah, I'm a crock pot master. I make a mean six hour like chicken stew. Who knows? I don't know. Yeah, I like that. Uh, I might, I might have to start going by crock pot master. Uh, pick your favorite appliance. You're like, I, I am the master of this one. I am a rice cooker master. My rice comes out fluffy every single time. Nobody can use a food processor like I can. <laughs> That's incredible. Uh, and then I'm um, now that you brought up the open flame cooking, I have questions of like, what is barbecue? Like, is mm-hmm. it as wide as like cooking on a fire? Like, is that is that is that the only thing that like barbecue is? Like, is is camping, cooking? Is whoa? Is like camping, cooking on a fire barbecue? I think like, so. What, what I... qualifies as it? Like, what is barbecue, you know? Because now that you've brought up the open flame concept, I'm like, whoa. Like, there's <laughs> just, like, my whole world of, like, what can qualify as barbecue just, like, opened up. Yeah. Well, and that's it. I, I think that, you know, okay, like, let's let's do a little thought experiment here, right? I'm always interested in this kind of, like, linguistic thing. Uh, you know, is a hot dog a sandwich, that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. When you, let's say someone builds a fire and puts a whole hog on a spit over it and rotates it for hours and hours and hours and serves that. I would call that barbecue, right? I think that has to be barbecue. Yeah. And that's really only like, you know, several hours difference 
from s'mores if you think about it you know exactly so i think s'mores are kind of barbecue like i don't like that i don't i think if i went to a barbecue and all that was being served was s'mores i'd be really mad but i get it (laughs) yeah so if barbecue is cooking on an open flame then anything you cook on an open flame can be barbecue so like i made a focaccia we went camping and Mm. i made a focaccia in the fire right and that's barbecue then yeah i think so (laughs) whoa I, I think like for me the the for me what makes it barbecue is there's a smoke there's a smoke to it right mm, there is the yeah. smoke of cooking over open flame I think <laughs> yeah like I <laughs> I mean, this is one of those things where words are words, right? Yeah, and, seriously. You're going to get a bunch of, like, hate comments be like, oh, no, your focaccia is not barbecue. Take that out of this, like, lingo. I mean, I once had someone come on the show and say that Pop-Tarts were ravioli and, and we didn't get any hate comments, so I'm not too worried. You know, I'd have to I'd have to support that argument. <laughs> so are empanadas. <laughs> oh, I think so, absolutely. I think Pop-Tarts yeah. are closer to empanadas than they are to ravioli, but I think both are ravioli. Um <laughs> But yeah, no, that's it. I think that anything that you, you know, make kind of barbecue style, I don't know, because we can't reduce barbecue to, say, it has to be, you know, over... I think the only thing we can reduce it to is an open flame. I I think that Mm. that's, that's the, like simplest we can go and i think that if you try to get too much more specific than that you start to alienate other cultures because you know korean barbecue is barbecue but like that is a very different thing from like you know a charcoal grill in a backyard Mm -hmm. yeah i definitely i definitely have a westernized like image of like the pet master down south and like the texas barbecue and the louisiana barbecue so like that's on that's on me obviously but, but I think that's fair. I mean, it's, I think it's fair to speak to the context you're coming from, certainly. Yeah, that's true. Like, for sure, like, I like I am surrounded by media that, like, says that, like, oh, like, this is where, like, the realest barbecue is. And, like, you know, you get the pitmasters and, like, there's, like, competitions and medals to be won. Like, okay, yeah, like, this, this, is, this, isn't, this is my cultural context at the moment. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. And that's why I think, like, the only, the only, like safe definition i think for for what is barbecue is you know something cooked over an open flame yeah and you get a bit of that smoke flavor in it as a result does it have to be like slow is that what Mm. makes barbecue barbecue is it like a slow cooking like over flame it's like using Mm. the heat to your advantage and trying to control it almost maybe I, i i think there's a case to be made that like you know, I'm not someone who eats like a rare steak, but I think that (laughs) a rare steak done on the grill is not slow necessarily, um, Mm. but it's still barbecue. I don't know. But I do think that there is definitely a like, it's not fast either, right? I don't know. Yeah. 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 No, I think, I think I agree with that. Yeah. And then you enter like the whole world of like vegetarian barbecue, which I think is very cool that like you can like, treat mushrooms like steak and treat cauliflower like like steak and marinate it and like put the same barbecue flavors in it but without using meat and i think that's pretty cool absolutely i think that like i don't ever just grill meat you know like if i'm going down to like grill some pork chops i just did this the other night i i had some nice pork chops that i was grilling and i was like okay what do i want to eat with this i we had we had some jackfruit that I bought because um, I wanted to do jackfruit pulled pork, uh, but I accidentally bought the stuff in syrup, and like that's not what you want. You want jackfruit 
not in syrup if you're doing pulled pork. Um, and so I just opened it up and like, you know, we just ate jackfruit and it was fine. It, it was kind of, it's a little bit like pear almost. I don't know, but not, it, it, it reminded me of like some kind of canned fruit and syrup. Um, Toby liked it, whatever. We were like, okay, what can I do with this? And I, <laughs> I threw the jackfruit and some whole white onions into a little like smoker basket and put that on the grill and just let that, you know, cook over like direct heat while the pork chops were also cooking and uh, had some really delicious, you know, kind of smoky jackfruit oniony kind of stuff to top the pork chops with afterward. And it was awesome. And I think that if you really get into it, you can totally grill vegetables like and make them. I think I would argue that, frankly, I think the best vegetables are grilled. But, but I would just like me. I would 100% agree with that like there's nothing that like a grilled zucchini and like I don't like cooked bell pepper but like grilled like bell pepper I'm like oh yeah just like heat that onto my plate it's so good <laughs> I'm it. trying yeah my partner and I are like trying to like balance more vegetarian meals with like uh meat-based meals and mm-hmm. I was like but what like yeah like let's figure out how to like make a steak out of mushrooms and, and, and cauliflower and how to like use our use our vegetables like to, to our advantage, you know, and like add the same flavors that, that we want maybe from like a cut of barbecue meat, but onto vegetables. Yeah, totally. Well that's it. And and at the end of the day, like if it's delicious, you don't need the meat. I mean meat is awesome. I love meat. I'm never gonna not love meat. But I think that, you know, I think you're doing yourself a disservice if you don't also learn how to cook vegetables. That's, I that's where I'm yeah. at. Or else, like, I mean, right off the bat, like, where are you getting your vitamins from? <laughs> well, sure, yeah. <laughs> you, nutrition concerned. aside, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just think they're so yummy. You have to, like, work with them. <laughs> I agree. Speaking of yummy, we're uh, we're getting close to the end, but I wanted to ask you one last barbecue question, uh, and that is just, what is your, like, favorite thing to eat off a grill? I think my favorite thing to eat off a grill is ribs. Sure. I love them. They are sweet and messy and crunchy and caramelized, and they can be, like, really thick too yeah gotta be ribs love it yeah i love a good rack of ribs i uh i've gotten good at oven ribs i did a lot of oven ribs before we got the charcoal grill i uh i haven't successfully done them on the grill yet but that's because the one time that i tried i uh also tried to make four sides at the same time and it was a hot mess so oh my god (laughs) give yourself a fighting chance it was like one of those situations where like the sauce was great the ribs were like tender and tasty but they were only cooked like halfway through basically and like close to the bone it was still clearly not there yet and I was like okay these are these are a bust and uh you know sometimes you screw something up and it's intimidating and you wait until next summer to try it out again and that's where I'm at so yeah that's fair just follow your own process you know (laughs) that's it this year this summer I will successfully grill some ribs that's a hell yeah commitment I'm making next time you're in Montreal we got to eat together because every time that you have talked about digging into a pile of ribs I've been like yeah yeah, I want to do that too. I'm so into that. I just love eating messily and like enthusiastically. <laughs> I love that. Um, okay, well, hey, thank you so much for doing this. This was a lot of fun. It was really great to catch up. Do you have anything that you want people to check out before I let you go? Any plugs? Uh, if no plugs, any, you know, 
final words of wisdom for people out there listening? I don't have any plugs. Um, if you wish to follow me on Instagram, my Instagram is Gabrielle Vendette, all one word. It's mostly pictures of me, and that's about it, you know? Love a good selfie. I don't think I have any real words of wisdom right now. <laughs> my brain feels like a little mouse running on a on a mouse wheel, so <laughs> I'll leave it at that. <laughs> you do you, have fun, eat good, you know? You know what? I think have fun, eat good is a really good message for people. So <laughs> don't don't have undersell fun. yourself. <laughs> have fun, eat good. Those are my those are my final words. <laughs> Love it. Well, thank you so much. This is great. Thank you. Take care. Bye. All right, that's it. Thanks so much for listening to No Bad Food. Do you want to join the conversation? Hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at No Bad Food Pod. If you like this episode and want to help us make the show even better, head to patreon.com slash nobadfoodpod and donate. For as little as a dollar a month, you'd be joining the ranks of fine folks like Patrick, Gabriel, Kendall, and Carlea, Thomas, George, Poppy, Killian, Sarah, Angelica, Anne, Andrew, Laura, Chantal, and David. Patrons get access to all kinds of awesome perks, including the ability to request topics for episodes of the show. If that's exciting for you, head to patreon.com slash nobadfoodpod and make it happen. We also have merch. You can hit the merch link in the description of this episode to get all sorts of great stuff from our lovely friends over at Tee Public, and of course you can support us for free by leaving a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice and by sharing this episode with a friend. Our theme music is by Zach Ingalls and our cover art is by David Flam. You can find links for both of them in the description of this episode. Last but not least, the show is produced and edited by me, Tom Zalatni, as part of the Upford Network. You can find out about all the great shows on our network at upfordnetwork.com. See you next week for the finale of LGBTQ. You understand just takes a little time, it takes a little time, it takes a little time with me, I hope you don't mind, we'll take it slow this time. If you're someone who interacts with kids, you're probably familiar with moments of being asked questions you're just not equipped to answer. Whether it's the old favorite, where do babies come from, or the nuances of discrimination, Rad Child Podcast has your back. Each episode, your host, Seth Day, leads a discussion about topics like race, disability, loss, gender, sexuality, and so much more. Our goal is to give grown-ups the tools to talk to kids about almost anything. So come give a listen. Rad Child Podcast helping to raise a generation of open, compassionate, rad kids. Available on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and just about anywhere else. I'm Tefra Jemian, the producer and host of The Yeah! Podcast, a young adult lit review podcast focusing on amplifying the diverse voices in YA literature. Join us as we dig into the world of young adult books, reviewing new releases, revisiting old classics, and exploring what YA lit can teach us at any age. Discover the world of YA Lit through exclusive author interviews, book reviews, genre smackdowns, and more. The Yeah! Podcast, available through the Upward Network on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and wherever else you find your podcasts. This is our book club, and you're invited. Yeah!